I'm Richard Fields House. Hello, I'm Sarah Chambers. And we're today uh, talking about the release of the April edition of the Sessional GP magazine from the NASGP. We've both been having a, a good look at it today and um, have been working on it over the last few weeks and we're going to give you a brief overview of it today. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's actually full of lots of tasty nuggets, I should say. Um, we normally have a lead article or some kind of editorial uh, on the opening pages, but uh, in this edition we've foregone that for a What's Happening Roundup because actually quite a lot has been happening. Um, and the first little, uh, article is around the Better RCGP Appraisal Guidance. Um, we've, we've, we've called it better. I think we've, uh, we've explained why we think they're better in a previous chat and a blog that's on the website. Um, but there's also that there's been the indicative locum rate rumbles. There's the, the new pension forms are out and something about the BMA GPC SGP subcommittee, which uh, Richard will need to tell us all about. Yeah, well, the, the, indic- the indicative locum rates is quite an interesting one because that there was a press release by the government when the GPC negotiated the latest GP contract, and the press release came out from the government saying, "We've done this, and we've done this, and we've agreed this new indicative rate with with the GPC that um, from a certain date, a, a GP practices would have to disclose." to the government every time they paid above a certain rate to a locum. Mm. Very few details came out in that press release. Um, no date of when that um, rate was going to be announced. Uh, and all a bit worrying, yeah. really. But yeah. actually, through Twitter and Facebook and, and, and interviews, fortunately, it came out, it then transpired, that um, in, in no way had the GPC ever agreed to such a thing. This was, it's actually, it's a, it's a contractual imposition. Mm. Um, oh gosh, that sounds familiar. Well, it does. It does. Um, um, why are we actually not not kicking up a real fuss about it? I don't know. Although, although Chand Nagpal has said that that um, practices should not, when asked, give 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 this sort of information because we don't have to. Oh gosh, so it the, wasn't the, agreed. So the position is the BMA, the GPC, are actually rebuffing this and saying actually yeah. that you know there's we didn't sign up to this. Yeah, uh, Ooh, absolutely. Okay. It is all quite threatening. Um, all a bit 1984, but uh, anyway, what it, it is not, it is not a cap on locum rates or anything like that. And very strange from people who like free market ideology. Yeah, well. yes. <laughs> Aside from that. Hand okay. enough on that. <laughs> and the subcommittee, yeah, it, it's uh, every three years, the Sessional GP subcommittee of the General Practitioners Committee, uh, which is a subcommittee of the BMA, launches its its elections for the 2016-2019 elections for the uh, subcommittee. And that, the Sessional GP subcommittee uh, uh, meets four times a year. Uh, they've got a, a committee of about 14 or 10 or 14 or so individuals. I've been going for about 18 years and I was actually, I was actually on that oh. when it, when it start, started many years ago. Uh, and, um, and so, yes, yeah, so that's very important. What we've done... Uh, as an organisation, is we've asked our members who are standing on this committee to to we've asked them to make a statement um, along the lines of what they will do to improve patient care or uh, support sessional GPs to improve patient care, uh, but in just fifty words. So mm. quite a difficult task. It's going it's, it's quite one to work out. We've already got um, a reply. Uh, you'll see live on our website. But on that 
page of the magazine if you just click on the green titles that will click you through to the website the relevant pages mm. you'll find out more from there and um, 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 slightly boring but very very important the new pension forms around. yes if you're a locum uh, you need to submit your your monthly locum a forms locum b forms or if you've been locum in the same practice for more than six months your solo form uh, they've been updated in england they and wales eh? england and wales they either they they i, I can't remember whether they've been updated in scotland or, or uh, yet or not I, I we've had a look at the website um but but as soon as but basically as soon as any changes come live we get notified um uh, by them within 12 hours of release and then we put them up on the website so it's, it's always on the same place in the right. NSP website we, so we can't spot any major changes in the England and Wales one yet but it's updated and someone said it was editable now yeah the, the uh, England Wales locome form PDF is it's an editable PDF and the solo form is that editable word document okay all right so that's what's happening the next section I love this it's a groups and chambers around the UK and it's a roundup where um, locum groups and chambers write in with what's been going on and um, I love this one from Jane Baxter from North Cumbria has really tweaked my interest um, because they've had a session on therapeutics SEAs with a co-mentoring approach and I'm, I, I can feel myself wanting to get in touch with Jane to find out more about that to see what that what what that is and Intriguing. if we can um, yeah if we can get hold of that and adapt it for you know share it with others via appraisal aid sounds brilliant um so thanks to jane for that um and another roundup from the, the twickenham chamber from alan in twickenham new new a new chamber developing there and they've been discussing lots of interesting clinical cases so it's great to hear from people and know we're not all alone <laughs> Um, advert there as well from from um, um, Pulse job section. You can sign up to Pulse and get uh, jobs emailed to you, depending on your postcode, etc. That's a new one for us. And then um, Liz Densley and Kevin Walker, our Money Matters contributors. Liz Densley, uh, an accountant from East Sussex, on a, a, a summary of the budget tax changes. 2016 tax changes a couple there um we were looking at the screen here end of contracting out that's to do with um a, a, a pensions uh, change uh it, well, i think the real learning thing as always from tax articles brilliantly written the most clearest uh concise tax writing i think you'll find but uh, it, to me it always makes me really grateful that i have an accountant and and as always i we, we would advise anybody to get an accountant you, you it is possible to do one's taxes oneself but um it changes uh, and they they, yeah. they keep up to date so i think that i think the, the the biggest thing that i read from that is that uh, if you've got locums who are operating via a limited company there's been a change in the dividend taxation dividend tax. which could be expensive especially you know the higher the earner you are if you're in the upper tax brackets there is going to be uh, tax on dividends now um so that's but, worth I taking mean, many a look many at. locum gps are are, are are setting themselves up as limited companies and this is how they pay themselves and uh, actually the that advantage is now gone yeah it's a it's quite a big deal from it that is. point of view um so take a look uh, and then take advice. I, I'm like you. I always think, could I get away without an accountant? And then you realise it's ever changing. So they 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 keep up with the changes. Um, da da da. We're heading on through the budget and the NHS pension. Anything on that, Richard? 
Yeah, there was a few things that Kevin's talked about, about the new uh, Lisa, Liza, uh, uh, lifetime individual savings accounts, which are for people um, under the age of 40, for if they, uh, when they save £4,000, the government will give them an extra £1,000 if they uh, spend that money on a, either a new house or they leave it till they retire. But if you spend it before then, you don't get that extra £1,000. It, it's people are questioning whether this might be a sort of a new way of changing um, pension contributions. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, it looks interesting, particularly if you're a sort of a, a younger colleague. Uh, there's also quite a lot there on some some pension changes and the need for potential for, for protection. Uh, uh, not in any sort of Cray Twins sort of protection mm-hmm. way, but there are there are a couple of different forms which you might need to complete. And, and a, a, again, this is stuff that, that you might want to speak to a financial advisor yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's change, de- decreases generally in, in allowances um, for pensions and um, you can apply for protections. It seems counterproductive, but, but great to know if you do need that protection. Yeah. Um, and then I'm intrigued by this. This is his careers advice from Sonia Hutton-Taylor. And I was really interested when Sonia sort of redefined what she saw as the key skills for general practice. Um, and this is one of these, um, one of her topics, this this week's, to- this edition's topic is assertiveness. And you know, she makes this brilliant point that actually... Um, assertiveness is so you know key for our protection of ourselves as individual practitioners and as as people um, and probably for the health service as a whole if you sort of think about trying to work out uh, how to, to politely and calmly explain to a patient that you know what they what they might want sometimes is not necessarily what they need um um, and and yet I would I mean I could come up with a definition of assertiveness and think about what it looks like but I'd, I'd have to think about it and she makes the point that it's such a key thing but we're not actually sort of taught in it um, so I'm and, and I'm really looking forward to her next article which is going to be about you know the role of assertiveness in your in protecting your time and keeping to time in general practice so I'd love to hear what she's got to say about oh, that I was really interested in what Sonia was saying about lurchers and and and, and how um under assert how we can be under assertive be an under assertive person and then we just get pushed and pushed and pushed and then we suddenly become over assertive and, and ditto we can be an over assertive person all of a sudden really suffer from this really dip in assertiveness um there's a great graph that goes with that a uh, really good explanation and it's a part of a series of four uh, uh topics from sonia on a new approaches to how uh, gp should be trained oh, yeah um i'm just now moving Flicking through, through the electronic version we come then to the clinical um area the cpd pages um and there's two great great clinical items one on on frozen salt <laughs> frozen soldiers, frozen shoulders from Amy Letty's of GP Update, and uh, I've never. I love what she's done here. I've never um, heard this this terminology used before, but she talks about the one to three year natural history of frozen shoulder in terms of the phases being the first phase being painful, the second phase being the freezing phase, the third frozen, and the fourth thawing. Um, and I, I I thought that was a great uh, reminder. Um, she talked about the the diagnosis being mainly a clinical based yeah. diagnosis. So sort of the you know, obviously if you've got the person in the right age range, um, uh, and the diagnosis can be tricky in the early phases because the early 
the painful phase, which can last some months, is characterised by pain with no particular other findings. So the other killer point she makes is that uh, in that phase, you're obviously thinking of, well, what else could be causing shoulder pain? And you're just thinking about other pathologies that aren't shoulder related, neck and chest, for instance. Um, and then she talks about that she's got a brilliant table which talks about the different treatment options and a really good pithy summaries of the evidence base for them. Um, it's it's, it's it, she 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 says it's a diagnosis she, she dreads making because it is difficult it's difficult and it has this natural history and I think the first thing is probably making a positive diagnosis and then counselling the patient that it's not forever yeah. but what does help uh, well she gives the recommendations there but nice recommend paracetamol plus or minus codeine um, interestingly she talks about physiotherapy which I guess is something that we uh, as GPs might reach for quite quickly because it tends to be fairly readily available and the hierarchy of what works in physiotherapy seems to be hospital group based yeah. exercise classes more effective than individual therapy which is more effective than exercise classes um, sorry home exercises um, no I thought that was great yeah good article yeah it was good and really, really useful good. as well it's something we come across a lot and often quite helpless to help people with um the other part of the oh sorry i thought this was clinical it's actually risk management but it rose from a clinical scenario and this is the uh, mps dr rachel birch is an mps medico legal advisor talking about gps managing dental problems um and we asked we asked her to do this we approached her mm. to do this because Obviously, as locums, as GPs, we, we we experience a lot of patients coming in with dental pain. It's usually pain that brings people screaming through the door, and um, you know what, what what's what's the indemnity situation with a GP managing a dental problem? There's been quite a lot of chatter with this on on various GP forums, hasn't there as well? It, 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 lots of contradictory advice yeah. and, and people quite scared about this because some some people just won't touch it with a barge pit pole and other people are saying well actually no there is some significant problems you can get from dental pain particularly dental abscesses i mean, I, I think it's the thing where you're, you're going to have to take each 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 as as ever it's clinical judgment yeah. and each it's, it's it's each case on its merits um but uh, yes so I've, I've heard that attitude coming across from the gp forums of you know, just don't, don't touch it. Don't even at one extreme saying don't even give people analgesia, um, because you may be masking a problem which you're then not later covered for with indemnity. Um, but I mean, I think I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there, and she references a BMJ review from March 2015, which is absolutely brilliant. Suffice to say, if I could just briefly summarise it's never going to be acceptable for a patient coming with dental pain to sort of sit them in the chair and instantly say sorry this is dental go and see a dentist um, as with any patient your primary duty um, as, a, as a GP is to make an adequate assessment and first and foremost you're trying to make sure that that patient isn't seriously ill um, and dental infections can be very very serious there's lots of spaces uh, in the head and neck where pus can track and the uh, emergency admissions for serious dental problems to hospital have, have gone up, is doubled between 1998 and 2008. Stunning, isn't it? it I mean, who, who knows fully what's behind that, but we all know that it is very diff difficult to get urgent dental care, and that's probably why so many patients you know, end up in desperation coming to see us. 
Um, but it can be very serious and your first duty uh, at least is to talk to the patient find out what's going on uh, I would suggest if they're not looking so well to do a basic set of obs and record that uh, and examine them and have a look in their mouth don't forget to check under their tongue they can get a seriously large sublingual abscess look you're looking for signs of infection spreading beyond their mouth uh, into their neck obviously if they're septic those things are immediately um, emergency referring them to max fax um, and then you know the, the the situation when someone's in a lot of pain most of the time uh, antibiotics are not going to be appropriate and you, you know you need to having established they're not real you need to be explained to them gp i cannot definitively treat this for you you must go and see a dentist and so the second point is to know the uh, contact details of an emergency dentist practice pack yeah that would be good wouldn't it so have that to hand so you've got a lifeline to offer them um the the thought of not not even giving them analgesia um i think it's if you read the article and you read the bmj article you'll you'll be well versed in how to explain to them you can't actually treat this um they may have been well taught that antibiotics are going to help them but actually for most toothache uh, antibiotics will not help if it's a pulpitis if it is a localized dental infection they need to see a dentist because local drainage is is the treatment of choice um and the, you at a push at a at a real push if you could explain yourself if you've done some obs and you can be definitely sure that there is a local infection there that hasn't spread beyond the mouth and uh you can do things like wobble a tooth around or see some pus in their mouth and they and you you know that they've tried to contact a dentist but as so often the dentist isn't available for mm. several hours or the next day then there you you could at a push be thinking about antibiotics in that circumstance but you would have to heavily safety net it mm. by saying i explained to the patient that i cannot definitively treat this and that they should be having dental treatment i have given them the contact numbers and i've told them they need yeah. to be seen within a certain time frame so it's um i i i felt um i think that was a really useful yeah, article which yeah, we've got yeah. done by the nps and i hope that helps others be more comfortable with managing dental problems that's um, good good practical advice and lindsay and Moran from australia yes lindsay is a, is a, is a uk uh, G, gp but is currently working in australia uh, keeps us updated with what's going on over there and uh, her impressions about the Australian system, uh, this this article is about on the subject of, of, of DNAs and how um, actually, whereas in the UK we tend to have a little uh, skip in our step when that happens, but in Australia it's actually it's a direct threat to your income because you're paid per patient seen. Mm. Um, and also how how having a bit of a quiet day and not you know some some empty appointments can be um, for us again you know we quite look forward to those but but not in Australia um, and it it, it, it it changes the approach but Lynn's has also got makes a really good point about the uh, the ten minute versus the fifteen minute consultation um, and how. Uh, actually spending more time is actually just with the patient is actually more beneficial not just financially but for all the other obvious reasons as well mm-hmm. and so your favorite article of the whole magazine oh it's always my favorite judith judith harvey and um, people that have read the magazine before will know that judith always gets a page to herself um she's a real stalwart of the yeah. nhgp i mean i cannot imagine the nhgp without her i've never personally met judith but i know she's worked with richard for um a, a long time and um d- just her breadth of knowledge and learning uh, is astonishing actually and um what she writes is always interesting uh, always compassionate and it always sort of elevates 
me you know to read her perspective on illness and and suffering and I suppose in these challenging times when we've got a lot to moan about in the profession at the moment it sort of is a nice reminder of perhaps why you know we became doctors and how important and um you know precious our jobs are and how important it is that we we look after ourselves so that we can um continue to 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 be doctors and to support people the future generations and keep this keep this nhs boat afloat and if you're ever wondering why you're a gp read some of judith's articles and you'll soon know know why again yeah right well thanks very much for 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 doing that um and for going through the magazine today and it's all online already for you to to uh, read either online or download as a pdf Uh, As always, uh, leave us some comments. Let us know what you thought of this podcast. Any ideas or suggestions, always gratefully received. Thanks ever so much. Bye.